Um, it's something really incredible. God TV, uh, which is uh, a Christian television network based in England. They're all over Europe, Africa, not so big in the U.S., but uh, India, reaching uh, literally tens of millions of people every day. They came to me and asked if I would do a five-minute daily show and that they would uh, pay for everything and provide the production crew. And I was like, well, sure. You know, normally it costs quite a bit of money to, uh, to do something like that. And they were asking us to do it. So it, uh, we have a, I just have a tiny clip I can show you, just about 20. Why don't we start at like 25? So we don't take too much. Right there is good. So we go all over Israel and record. Hi, everybody. I'm Ron Cantor, and you're watching Out of Zion on God TV. I'm standing on the Mount of Olives. This is the place that not only Yeshua taught so many wonderful things, including his whole end time scenario in Matthew chapter 24. That's good. But if you, if you want to hear the rest, uh, you can go online and do that. I just don't, uh, I don't want to take, I don't want me to take my time because it's my time, not that guy's time. <laughs> so he's a, he's you can see anytime, but me right here you can only see now. So uh, you can find that on my Facebook page, uh, Ron Cantor. You can find it on our, our website, roncantor.com, or go to God TV slash Zion. We do it literally every day. We've gone all over the country. We've been we just filmed in the Dead Sea and in Getty, and uh, I just love. I love Israel, not just the people and, and, and being there and ministering there. I do love that, but I just love the country. Uh, it's just a beautiful place, so much history. And uh, in fact, we do do Israel tours if you're interested. Our next tour is in April, April 20th through the 30th, and it will change your life. If you've never been to Israel, uh, you got to come. It's amazing. And we do our tours a little bit differently. We take you to where Yeshua walked because that is very cool. It's history. It's amazing. Esther, you were with us, right? Did you enjoy it? She said fabulous. And, um, and we, we had a great time eating. In the, uh, me and my friend Andy and Esther, we snuck away from the group. And we ate delicious food in the Machanei Yehuda outdoor market in Jerusalem. It's just a fun time. But we not only show you where he walked, but where he's walking. Because 99.9% .9 of tourists who go to Israel, they only see the museum of 2,000, 3,000 years ago. They don't realize that there is a vibrant expression of the body of believers in Israel today. And so we worship with our congregation. We hear from different Messianic leaders. We hear testimonies. And it is, it's, it's really life-changing. I've never taken anyone there. You ever been on a vacation and you're really excited about it, and you're planning for it, and you save money for it, and then you go on that vacation, maybe to the Outer Banks or something like that, and you get there, and it just doesn't meet the excitement, the expectation. It's not as fun as what you thought it would be. Well, Israel is the opposite. You can't even imagine how amazing it's going to be, and it, and it will change your life. So anyways, if you're more information on that, you just go to our website, roncantor.com, and we've only got about 15 places left, so sign up. Um, we have some books for sale at the end of the service in the room uh, over there. What do we call that room? 
the small sanctuary. It's a very creative title. <laughs> Probably took a long time to come up with that. The uh, small sanctuary. We have this. We have actually the same title for our prayer room. It's the small prayer room instead of the large sanctuary. I wrote a book a few years ago called Identity Theft, and I wrote it quite by accident. It is a. It was meant to be a theology book. Because I would go and preach, like today, have 30, 40 minutes, and then, you see, I just gave myself 10 extra minutes, <laughs> and, uh, and I would get frustrated because I've got 16 hours of teaching, and I could not get it all out in 30 minutes. And so uh, I decided to write a book, and if people were interested, they could buy the book, and great. Well, I wrote the whole book as a teaching theology book, and right before I sent it to the publisher, the Lord began to deal with me that I had written the book incorrectly, and he had me rewrite the whole book as a novel, a suspenseful novel about a Jewish man who is searching for truth, but he knows that he cannot consider Yeshua because he's Jewish. But then he has a Scrooge-like visitation from an angel who takes him back through history and he's able to hear the gospel in its original Jewish context and I don't want to tell you anymore but it gets very exciting at the end and and I do have to apologize if you bought this book three or four years ago when we wrote it because I was in planning on writing the sequel immediately but then I became a full-time senior leader and it took me four years to get the sequel but it finally just came out the Jerusalem secret and this is the continuation of David's story David from Philadelphia who gets uh well I don't want to tell you what happens to him but it's exciting um and uh and then one day I believe there will be a book three <laughs> as soon as I figure out what it's about and uh, lastly, I have another book called, now this is great, if you're from Richmond, anybody from Richmond? Anybody like, this is where you've lived a long time? I was born in Richmond. I was part of the first graduating class of Mills Godwin High School, um, and I was a mess. I was not a good kid. I was ADHD. Uh, I would start things, never finish them. I barely got through high school, and that was with cheating. Uh, I... I, I with cheating, I graduated with a 1.7 GPA. That's like a miracle, right? But I graduated Bible school with a 3.85 without cheating that much. No, I didn't cheat in Bible school. Woo! And I'm one of the few people in the world that can say that he has written more books. I don't know if I'm proud of this or not, but I have written more books than I read in high school. So I read one in high school, and now we've, we've written uh, three. Uh, this is called Leave Me Alone, I'm Jewish. It's what I said to my best friend Brian McRae when he was born again and began to share with me about Yeshua. And uh, I said, you know, we don't, that's, you talk to your Gentile friends about that. We don't, we, I, I don't really know that much about being Jewish, but I know that we don't believe in Yeshua, so goodbye. Uh, but he was persistent, and I don't want to ruin the book for you, but I get saved in the book. And, uh, <laughs> but it's a great uh, book. You'll, you'll enjoy reading it. You'll have fun. You'll laugh. You'll cry. Uh, but then give it to somebody who does not yet know the Lord, whether they're Jewish or not Jewish. It is a great book. To, because I spend the first two-thirds of the book, we're just having fun. We're entertaining. And then suddenly, kapowie, you know, the message of Yeshua. And it comes strong and accurate, and I think it'll be a blessing. Each of these books are $15, but you can get any two for $25, and you can get all three for $35, right? That's a pretty good deal. 
and we're not even going to charge you postage or handling or anything like that. So um, you can get that next door at the end. Now, how many of you would like a free book? Anybody want a free book? Just a half of you? Wow. You know, <laughs> I'll take a free book. I want to give you a free book today, but not one of these. Um, I would like to give you a book that I wrote called The 15 Most Important Facts That You Need to Know. It's a long title. The 15 Most Important Facts That You Need to Know About the Israeli-Palestinian Conflict. And it is an ebook that I will send you. And it is colorful. It has pictures and, and it has outlines and it has videos, uh, links to different things. And we, we go through the whole Israeli-Palestinian conflict and uh, we show you the truth, because there's a lot of not truth out there, right? Like, for instance, there's never been a nation called Palestine in the history of the world, certainly not an Arab one. And um, we go through all that stuff, and it will educate you, because you've all been in situations at work or somewhere else where someone said something that you knew was wrong about Israel, but you didn't have the, the tools, the facts to combat it. Have you ever been in that position? Well, that book will help you. It's free. All you got to do is sign up for our newsletter. We'll send you the book this week uh, via email. And it's a quick, easy read, and it will be a blessing. It looks really thick on the, <laughs> on the graphic, but it's not that thick. So I think that's it. Out of time. And if you want to know more about us, you can go to um, roncantor.com, which will lead you to our blog, which is messiahsmandate.org. Uh, messiahsmandate.org. We, um, and we have a congregation in Israel. Many of you know that. We are part of Tiferet Yeshua Messianic Congregation. Uh, I was a senior leader there for the past three and a half years. We just, uh, and this is a huge victory, we just laid hands on a native-born, I mean, I can speak Hebrew and I can preach in Hebrew, but we now have our, our senior leader is a native-born Hebrew speaker, uh, Sabra, born in Israel, and he's such a great, I'm not, I was not a good pastor. Uh, that's not my gift. I'm an evangelist, and I love evangelizing and sharing and inspiring. Uh, and the Lord used us for those three years to rebuild. We were coming out of a tough period. But then he uh, identified Gil as the one to long-term be the senior leader. Our ministry, when you support Messiah's Mandate, one of the main things that we do is we sow about $10,000 a month into that congregation, paying for several of the salaries of the staff there. And uh, we just built... Uh, how many of you heard about a young lady by the name of Shai Soul? Uh, anybody? She's an Israeli girl. On Hanukkah two years ago, uh, the first night we had a big gathering in the house. We turned on the TV, and I never met her, but there she was singing on a national competition like American Idol. And she said in front of everyone that she believes in Yeshua, then the new covenant, and that he's the Messiah in front of the whole country. No one has ever had that platform before. And here was this beautiful Israeli 19, 20-year-old testifying. And, and she really suffered because of that. She was attacked. She came to our congregation. We told her, we don't want you to be here for what you can do for us. We just want to love on you and minister to you. And if God uses you here, great. We're not trying to get anything from you. And she has been an awesome addition. We built this coffee house. And now she and another gentleman, they oversee these monthly outreach concerts. Every month in our congregation, we have an Israeli born-again believer singing, ministering. And we invite believers and unbelievers. And it's a very safe, relaxed environment. There's no preaching. It's just to get... Israeli believers and unbelievers together in the same room, enjoy coffee, music, and then the good news of Yeshua. 
So keep that in prayer. Pray for um, Tiferet Yeshua congregation in Tel Aviv. All right, let's pray. Father, in the name of Yeshua, we ask for your anointing, your grace, Father, in the name of the Messiah, Lord God. We establish your authority here. And we ask that you would breathe on this message, O God. Father God, we can't do anything apart from you. We rely on you. We long for you. And we come against every lie of the enemy, every demonic attack, every demonic plan. And we bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. I want to talk a little bit about um, Messianic Judaism, a little bit about evangelism, outreach, a little bit about what's happening in Israel. But I want you to understand something. When I came to faith back in the early 80s, uh, Messianic Judaism in America was about... I don't know, about 15, 10 years old. It really came to life in what was called the Jesus Revolution of the late 60s, early 70s. Any of you around back then? Any of you come to faith at that time? There was a huge influx of Jewish people into the kingdom of God during that time. I was uh, only about three or four years old at the beginning of that, uh, seven or eight years old at the end of that, but it's interesting Time Magazine said in 1966, things were so bad in America, in the, in the ecclesia, the body of believers in America, that Time Magazine, a cover, it said, is God dead? I don't know if you ever remember, if you remember that. I was one, and I have a very vivid memory of that. <coughs> but, it, but they asked, is God dead? Because things were not happening. Do you know that when God sends revival, things can change in a moment? Do you know that one day Israel was worshiping the Baals and, and, and other false gods and then Elijah shows up, fire comes out of heaven and it changes everything? God can change everything in a second. And then something happened in 1967. On June 5th began the Six-Day War and suddenly, even though it was not an objective of Israel during the war, she ended up with Jerusalem. And there's something connected with the physical restoration of Israel and the spiritual restoration of Israel. They go hand in hand. Ezekiel said, or prophesied, I will bring you out of all the countries where I've scattered you into your own land, and then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will write my law. That sounds like being born again, right? That sounds a whole, like, a whole lot like what Yeshua talked about in the Gospels regarding the new birth. So what God is saying, I'm not just going to restore you physically. And then he has the great vision of the valley of dry bones, which came in two parts, right? Dead bones coming alive. I'm sorry, dead bones coming together to make dead bodies, which I got to be honest with you, if I was with Ezekiel, I would be like, whoa, dude, that was awesome. You just made those bones become bodies. But the Bible says but they were still dead. There was no life in them. So I believe the bones coming together was symbolic of the Jewish people going back to the land. What good is that if we don't know the Messiah? Eternal life is in Yeshua, not in real estate. I am a Zionist and a firm believer in the land of Israel, but ultimately the greater goal is salvation, right? And then the second part, he says, prophesy a second time to the four winds that the breath of God would come into these dead bodies and they would live. And of course, you know that happened. And that's speaking about the spiritual revival that we're seeing the beginning of now. 
But in 67, we see Jerusalem reconnected to Israel. And at the very same time, God pours out his spirit, starting in America, in what we, again, was called the Jesus Revolution, where thousands of Jewish people and tens of thousands of non-Jewish people are born again. Some of those people were Eitan Shishkov, who is speaking tonight in Richmond on Marshall Street and somewhere at the Four Winds there. That, let me just tell you a little bit about that. Number one, Eitan is, I don't know if you know, but he is uh, one of the senior international directors of Tikkun, the senior leaders of Tikkun. And, and Eitan, Dan Juster, who was here a few months ago, Asher Intrader, those, those guys are the most significant mentors in my life. And one of the reasons I connected with Tikkun in 1987 wasn't called Tikkun back then. We originally called it BMAM, which is not a great name, but it was st stood for Beth Messiah Apostolic Ministries. But because I saw the covenant loyalty between these three guys, I saw the, the fact that they were for each other and not for themselves. And I thought, I want to be under these guys. And uh, I thank God that I put myself in that position because I've, I have eaten from that table now for almost 30 years. And it's been a really good diet. So Aton is going to be here tonight. He was born again in that movement. Asher Intrader was, was a, he went to Harvard where he was stoned all the time and studied Greek mythology. You talk about a waste of money. And then he ends up in some the jungles of uh, Nicaragua or something like that and ends up in a church somewhere in South America and the Lord visits this Jewish man and during that time he's born again. Michael Brown who is a genius you know they used to call Michael when, during the the hippie when he was a young hippie they called him drug bear because he could take more drugs than anybody else. And, and, and normally that kills brain cells. But somehow God took that man who was a drug addict. He once shot adrenaline that they stole from a doctor's office in, in, into his heart. You know, they do that when you're dying. Like of a heart attack or something, you know. And he survived that to become a believer during these, this Jesus revolution. And now he, of course, debates rabbis, has written answering Jewish, Jewish objections to Jesus. And uh, so many other leaders in the Messianic movement came to faith during that revival. And what they said to themselves is they said, you know what? We're not comfortable going to a typical church. I grew up... Jewish. I, I like my culture. As I'm reading the Bible, I know that's where I went through as a new Jewish believer. Uh, I went to River of Life, Foursquare Gospel Church in downtown Richmond. It's not there anymore. But as I began to read, and, and I said to myself, well, I guess I'm no longer Jewish. I've now, you know, I've got to learn to hunt and to do, you know, fix cars, you know, <laughs> and uh, because I'm, I've, I've converted. And then I read the New Covenant. And I thought, whoa, wait. I mean, I knew that Yeshua was Jewish. I, if you had told me back then that there was a guy in the Bible named John the Baptist and that he was actually a Jewish prophet, I would say, no, 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 no. He's, he's a Baptist, you know. And, um, or that Paul the Apostle was actually one of the great learned rabbis of his day, studied under Gamaliel. I would say, what? That, you know, I did not know that. I did not know that all the disciples were Jewish and that they never, ever, 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 ever considered themselves not Jewish. I didn't know that, but as I read that, I had a revelation. I'm still 
a Jew. And then the, many, how many of you remember Ziva Beckman? She used to go here. Maybe some of you remember Ziva. She was a wild and crazy Israeli believer. And somebody introduced me to her and I said, Ziva, praise God, I too used to be Jewish. And she put her finger in my face and she said, don't you ever say that you used to be Jewish. You're still Jewish and you'll always be Jewish. And, uh, and, and then she said, there are these congregations. They're called Messianic. This is before Tikvot. And she said, and, and she said there's one in D.C. You should go. And, and she said, they worship on the Sabbath. And I said, that's crazy. How can that be? My mind was officially blown. And then I went up there. And the first guy that I meet was Eitan Shishkov walking out as I'm walking in. And little did I know the destiny uh, or, or the role that, that that group of people would play in my life. But these new Jewish believers, they said, we're not comfortable in a traditional church. And, and they begin, make a long story short, Messianic Judaism was birthed. But I want you to understand something. At the time, it was birthed as a soul-winning mechanism for Jewish people. These people were vocal about their faith. They were excited to reach other Jewish people. And what I've noticed in the past few years is that some congregations have gotten away from that. And instead of being that soul-winning mechanism, they become Jewish roots fascination centers. Where people, and again, I, I, I love the fact that we welcome Jews and non-Jews. There is no middle wall. It's ripped down. We're one. But we come here for the common purpose of worshiping God and reaching people with the good news of Yeshua, not to have our ears tickled with, you know, why Christmas is a pagan holiday. That's not my battle. I, do you understand that? I don't, I don't celebrate Christmas. I never have it. There's no cultural, there's nothing in me culturally that Christmas or e Easter connects to. Do you understand that? But I don't spend my days and hours going around to people and tearing down their Christmas trees and, you know, stealing their Easter eggs. I've got bigger battles to fight, like replacement theology. That's my battle. Do you understand? I was at, I was at a church a few years ago speaking and the guy giving announcements. He said, I hear all these people talking about the, the pagan roots of Christmas. He said, the next thing you know they're going to say is, Halloween is pagan. He was joking. He's joking, of course. But we don't come to a Messianic congregation simply because we want to have our ears tickled about the, the Jewishness of the faith, and now we have other movements. See, see I, used to, I used to go around the world and preach, and people would receive me as a Messianic Jew, and they'd be very uh, gracious. Now, I'll be honest with you, I go to different places, and they say, are you one of those weird people? And they're not referring to you. They're referring to movements, one law movements. There are, now, there are now movements that I call it the new replacement theology. See, replacement theology is when the church said, we are Israel and God has, has cursed you. We're stealing your promises, ha, 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 and you get to keep the curses. You know, that, that's historic replacement theology. But the new replacement theology is where you have believers coming and saying, you know, we're going to live as Jews. We're the new Jews. It's called the One Law Movement, One Torah Movement. And it removes all distinctions. See, here's part of the problem. It removes all distinctions between Jew and... The word Gentile is not a bad word. Now, heathen, in that sense, it's not a good word. But in the, words, in the sense of nations, 
That's a cool word. God loves the nations. And God is for the nations. He wants the nations to... Why do you think God called Abraham? To reach the nations. He says in Isaiah chapter 49, It is too small a thing for me to restore the fortunes of Jacob. He says, I want this, my salvation to go to the ends of the earth. God's plan was always to reach the nations through Israel. And we're supposed to celebrate the distinctions, not be jealous of one another. But that's the roots of the one law movement. It's a jealousy. Oh, you're better than me? No, no, it's not about being better. Is a man better than a woman? No. Are they different? Yeah. I guess in today they're not quite sure anymore, but uh, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I won't. Um, <laughs> but there are distinctions, and they're fine. They're good. We're not all the same. Hallelujah. My wife is, great, is grateful that we're not the same person. She needs to be her, I need to be me, and together we are one. The body of believers is one, made up of Jewish believers and those from the nations. And yes, there are distinctions, and that's okay. Okay. My message to the nations, the body of believers in the nation, is not that you have to be Jewish, that you have to be like me. My message is pray for Israel. Provoke our people to jealousy. Intercede for the salvation of our people. Love the Jewish people. Because for 2,000 years you haven't really loved them so much. But Acts 15 was pretty clear. They come together, right? In Acts, I know it's been twisted in recent years to say what it doesn't say. And if you want to read exactly what I think, I have a, four blogs I wrote called Jews, Gentiles, and the Torah uh, that you can Google. But Acts 15, they come together. There's Peter's there, Paul's there, right? And Jacob, James, you know, he's there, they're all there. And, and it says in verse 5, even a bunch of Pharisees were there. You know there were Pharisee believers? There were Pharisees that got born again? And they're in this meeting, and they had this big discussion. What do we do with the Gentiles? There's a lot, a lot of Gentiles are confessing faith in Yeshua. What do we do with them? And they said, well, you know, uh, we're not going to tell them that they have to be Jewish. They can be part of the olive tree. They can become co-heirs with Israel, by the way, not instead of Israel, without becoming Jewish. That's the, that's the mystery of the new man. That is the mystery of the gospel. When Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 3, he uses that word mystery four times. And the mystery was this, is that God was doing something new that the disciples couldn't see, the nations couldn't see, and that was he was taking Jews and Gentiles and building one new man. You with me? Give me a little feedback, a little energy. So as Messianic believers, who do we model ourselves after? The first disciples. The book of Acts. book of Acts is my favorite book in the Bible because it's about what we can do. 
Now, the Gospels are great. I mean, they're awesome, but Yeshua is perfect, and I'm not. You know, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm more like Peter in the Gospels, you know, cutting people's ears off and, and, and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, thinking, you know, coming to Yeshua and saying, hey, I want to sit on your, your right hand. Is that okay? But then in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God is poured out, and these guys, you know, they become new men. Peter, the guy who was cutting people's ears off, suddenly stands up in Jerusalem, boldly proclaims the good news of Yeshua, and thousands of people embrace the Messiah that day. So what do we see? What are some of the, help me out here, what are some of the characteristics that we see in the book of Acts? Anybody? Boldness. <laughs> I like that one right there. They were bold. They were unashamed. In fact, in Acts 4, it says they prayed for boldness, and the Bible says the place where they were was shaken, and then they went out and preached the word boldly. They got it. Boldness. What else? Unity. They were of one. Even financial unity. I mean, that's hard for us today, but they took their funds, and they tr there was so much trust and covenant loyalty that they knew that they could trust the apostles with their finances. What else do we see there? They ate together. They fellowshiped together. They went on camping trips together, which were, which were intense. Those camping trips were so intense. You get it? And <laughs> Took you a while. They, they loved to be together, house to house, breaking bread. I heard another one. What, what else did I hear? Power, the power of God. They were walking in the power of God. You know, my friend Mike Brown wrote a, a book called Whatever Happened to the Power of God? That, that was a hallmark of the first Jewish believers. If you want to be Messianic Jewish, you need to be walking in the power and presence of God. You need to be walking in unity with your brothers and sisters. You need to be fellowshipping with joy, submitting to the apostles' teaching. That's what th that, those were the hallmarks of Messianic Judaism in the first century. Now, the whole Jewish question they did not have to deal with. Do you know why? Nobody argued whether or not they were Jewish. Nobody went to Jacob and said, you're no longer Jewish. <laughs> what do you mean? Why would you? That? It wasn't not even an issue. Now it is an issue for us today. And why is it an issue? Because for 2,000 years, plus or minus, we have been told you cannot be Jewish and believe in your Messiah. And that started, it go, the, I don't have time to get into it, but the roots of it go all the way back to 49, 20 years after the death and resurrection, the Roman congregation turned against the Jewish people and, and began to, to, they were the first replacement theologians. You can read about that in this book right here. Uh, but it's a fascinating thing that happened when the, when the uh, Jews were kicked out of Rome. But they walked in the power of God. They had authority. Now, I want to tell you something. If you walk into a Messianic congregation and it feels just like a traditional Jewish synagogue, you're doing something wrong. Because there was a distinction between Yeshua and the Pharisees. What did they say about Yeshua? I love this verse. I have to tell you a story after this. Don't let me forget. But in Luke 18, uh, Luke 4, it says, Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of the Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbaths. 
And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. In other words, it was different than what they were used to. I grew up in the synagogue. And I remember hearing the rabbi's sermon right down the road here. Or here. I don't know where I'm at. I think here. (laughs) Right down the road. And there was no authority. There was no anointing. They were interesting. They were Zionistic often. But they were opinions. There was no passion. There was no anointing or the presence of God. But when, and that's what these guys were used to. But when they saw Yeshua, they said, wow, this guy has authority. We're not used to this. And then he goes and he commands a demon to come out of somebody. And they're like, what? Who is this rabbi? He's, he, isn't he like Joseph's kid and, and Miriam's son? Yeah. He's casting with authority and power. He commands unclean spirits and they come out. That's us, friends. If you have the anointing, that's what the immersion in the Holy Spirit is all about. We get born again to receive eternal life. But then there is that second blessing, the immersion of the Holy Spirit to equip us with power for outreach. I was in Jerusalem last week, two weeks ago, filming Out of Zion. And we did four episodes on the Six-Day War. And in the fourth episode, and we we use a teleprompter for some of them, so I'm looking at a camera, but I'm reading, and wow, that was amazing. You know, we've been looking for somebody to give sermons in our synagogue. You know, would you be available? (laughs) An Orthodox Jewish man is saying, we want you to come and bring messages in our synagogue. So I had to finish doing a clip, and I finished the clip, and then I went to him, and I said, hey, listen, um, that is very sweet of you. Thank you for that wonderful compliment, but, um, you know, I'm a full disclosure guy. Uh, you know, you, you may not want me <laughs> because I believe in Yeshua. I believe he's the Messiah. I'm a, I'm a Messianic Jew, and he said, well, you just lost a job, and I said, well, that's okay, and he said, there's, all, there's always hope that you'll repent, tshuva. And I said, you know what? I repented when I met Yeshua. So here's the thing is, is he, amen. Here's the thing. When he thought I was just a Jewish guy who did not believe in Yeshua, he was open to receiving the presence of God. And he felt it. He felt the authority that he had not felt before. And, then, and again, it's not, I, let's be clear. It wasn't me. It was God. There, it could have been dozens of different people at that moment, you know, didn't have to be me, just happened to be me. And he felt the authority and the power, and he was attracted to it until he learned that I was connected to Yeshua. But God wants us to walk in authority. We are called, Yeshua said, that we can lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. Yeshua said, the things that I do, you will do, and even greater things than this you will do, because I go to my Father. We're called to do greater things than Yeshua, because he's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, and because he sent us his Holy Spirit. Now, friends, I want to encourage you, you can do this. Now, one of the reasons we don't see a whole lot of healings today, I'm convinced, is because we only pray for people inside the congregation. But one of the first major, the first major healing that we see in the book of Acts is not in a closed meeting. It's outside Peter and John on the way to the temple. 
and there's a beggar. And he says, give me the money, please give me the money. Hit a sign, we'll work for food. But really, I just want food. <laughs> and Peter and John, they said, they said hey, bro, we, um, we don't have any money, but we've got something better. You know, today we say, you know, I, I'm supposed to have the power of God, but here's a, uh, a cheese sandwich. <laughs> you know, we need to get back to being like Peter and John, where we have the power of God. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah from Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he gets up and he's jumping, he's leaping, he's going crazy because he's healed. Now I want to share with you something that's happening in Israel right now. Our congregation, Tiferet Yeshua, a couple of our guys, Or, which means light, and Michael, which means who is like God. They're young guys in their 20s. They, they, they've been listening to some of these uh, uh, evangelists that have been doing signs and wonders. And they said, well, why don't we do that? And they said, well, let's, let's just go out and talk to people. So the two of them went on the streets in Tel Aviv. And they just started walking up to people and saying, is there something we can pray for you for? Anything you need prayer for? See, it's, it's a little difficult. You know, everyone's Jewish <laughs> in Tel Aviv. And so uh, it's a little strange when you walk up to someone on the street and, and start witnessing to them because Jewish people are programmed to be repelled by that. So they thought, well, let's do something that everybody needs. You know, if you went out on the streets in Richmond, Virginia, and started giving away $10 bills, do you think people would be excited or reject you? Right. They'd be, yeah, sure, give me one of those. Well, they said they were giving out prayer. And they came up to people, and they started praying for people, and people started getting healed. Somebody who had three... Uh, disc issues in their lower back and pain all the time. They just prayed for the person in the name of Yeshua and the person said all the pain went away. And then they were able to witness. Uh, here's a, let me just give you a couple testimonies. My friend uh, Michael, he actually works for us in our office. He, he was out and he said he was share, they were sharing. And there was one guy that he just really was cynical, wasn't interested. And the Lord spoke to Michael and he said to this guy, he said, um, did your mother recently die and you're blaming God for that? Uh, yeah. So that's pretty cool when you get a word of knowledge like that. And then the guy, you know, he still didn't completely open up, but that's now in his, that seed has been planted. God can speak to us like that. Um, there was a girl that the two of them uh, uh, asked if she needed prayer. She had uh, disc issues in her neck. She was in pain all the time. And so they laid hands on her, and she was instantly healed. I'm just looking. I wrote down all the factors. I keep looking at my notes. And she starts crying. Now, again, that, you know, when they start crying, that means it's real. And then she says, will you please pray for my brother? He has cancer. And so they start praying with her and praying for her brother. And then they were able to give her a New Testament. And I believe by, the, by faith she's now reading that New Testament. There was another person, uh, or he was by himself, and he just heard in his spirit, there's somebody who has an ankle problem. And, well, there's, there's dozens of people. So he walked up to one person said, do you have an ankle issue, problem, pain? That, no. Okay, well, that's weird, whatever, okay. Then he sees a group of soldiers, and he walks up to these group of Israeli soldiers, and he says, does somebody, one of you, have uh, an ankle problem, pain in your ankle? 
And one of them said, how did you know that? I have had a problem with my ankle for years, and the pain won't go away. And he prayed for him, and nothing happened. But what do you do when you pray for something, somebody, nothing happens? You pray again. <laughs> so he prayed a second time, and all the pain went away, and he was able to share the gospel with those Israeli soldiers. Now, every day, people in our congregation are going out on the streets and are walking up to people and saying, can we pray for you? Our senior leader, Gil, is out there. Our, uh, a bunch of our young people, every day, they're going out, and they're excited, and I believe it's going to result in growth in our congregation. And I want to be honest, I don't want to grow our congregation. I want to see Jewish people born again, which will result in growth. We don't want to grow for growth's sake. So I want to challenge you today. Let's get back to the power and presence of God to holiness, to purity, to living the way they did in the book of Acts. Let's define Messianic Judaism, yes, of course, by the distinctiveness that, that, that we're continue to be Jewish, but by the other qualities and characteristics that we see in the book of Acts. They shook the world. They shook Jerusalem. We want to shake Richmond. Tel Aviv was not a city back then. Tel Aviv, by the way, is not called Tel Aviv. Do you know what the name of our city is? It's actually called Tel Aviv Yafo, Jaffa. They're one city. And Jaffa is, it may be the oldest port city in the world. And after uh, uh, the book of Acts or the, the Spirit of God was poured out in Jerusalem, the Bible says that Peter ended up in Jaffa. Do you remember that? And a woman died there, and he raises her from the, from the dead. And the Bible says that all who heard about it turned to the Lord. There was a revival in Tel Aviv. There's a seed. I preach it all the time in our congregation. There is the residue of revival in this city. And, of course, in the Galilee. And, and why not in Richmond or New York or Philadelphia or Baltimore? But it's going to take more than just meeting together once a week. You know, sadly, Jewish people presently are not flocking to Messianic congregations. They should, but they're not. So we have to go out and befriend them, love them, pray for them, minister to them. And if you're not Jewish and you say, well, what role do I have? You know what? If you're not Jewish, you may have more anointing than us Jews to reach Jewish people. Because the Bible says that salvation has come to the nations to provoke Israel to jealousy. Grab that anointing. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I may not have been born Jewish, but you've called me to reach Jewish people with the good news of Yeshua. Put them in my path. Let me reach them. Let me love them. So I want to pray for you today. I'm going to invite Robert to come up and, and close the service. But then what I want to do is when he's done, I want to pray for you just to release that spirit of outreach, of evangelism, of healing. And I want to tell you something. If you act on it, you will begin to see healing. One of the great healing evangelists today is a guy by the name of Todd White. You ever seen him? He's got dreadlocks, kind of a funny-looking guy, wears weird shoes. Um, he said after he got saved, he began to go out on the streets and pray for people to get healed. And if I remember correctly, for three months, he did not see one person get healed. Not one. But then the breakthrough came, and now he sees it every day, all the time. If you want to see more people healed, 
pray for more people. When I was in sales, they used to always say to me, it's a numbers game, Ron. If you want, if it takes 20 people to close one deal, talk to 20 people. You, and what's going to happen is the more you pray for people, the more you're going to get comfortable doing it, and the more healings you're going to see. So hang around. We're going to come back, and we're going to pray for you and release that anointing upon you. Amen. Amen. All right, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. He's infectious.